It's the Smuckers Uncrustables podcast with your host, Uncrustables. Okay, today's guest is rough around the edges. Please welcome Crust. Thanks for having me. Today's topic, he's round with soft pillowy bread. Hey. Filled with delicious PB&J. Are you talking about yourself? And you can take him anywhere. Why'd you invite And we are out of time. Are you really cutting me off? Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, Crust. This is Max Hedrum. Hello? Anybody home? Hey! This is Our generation may not remember the moon landing, but we remember moon boots. If you owe a few cavities to candy cigarettes, learn your adverbs from schoolhouse rocks, burned your shins on a hot metal slide with sharp edges, exploding pop rocks for science, and you still want your MTV, then this podcast is for you. Dancing with Myself is dedicated to the decade of excess, the 1980s. So pull up your leg warmers and let's get physical. Welcome back to Dancing With Myself. This is episode four, and I'm your host, Heather. The royal marriage of Diana and Prince Charles, something that is still making headlines in 2021. Call it a fairy tale wedding or a royal spectacle, the marriage of Lady Diana Frances Spencer and Charles Philip Arthur George, the Prince of Wales, and heir to the British throne, was the kind of love story Hollywood no longer produced, the kind of grand costume pageant it could no longer afford to recreate. She was a distinctively dishy commoner, as Time Magazine put it, the radiant 20-year-old bride who would become the most photographed and gossiped about personality of her time. He was her Prince Charming. On July 29th of 1981, before two million on-the-scene witnesses and an avid television audience of three-quarters of a billion from all over the world, reality seemed to outshine fantasy. From the time Charles began courting her, Diana captured and held both the relentless and the fevered attention of the world press. You didn't know, the royal watcher at London's Daily Mirror once asked her, you were marrying us too, right? Not only her marriage, but also her exercise routines, eating habits, hairstyles, and wardrobe became daily fodder for the hungry public. While acting the parts of poised princess, doting mother, and goodwill ambassador, Diana struggled to maintain some semblance of a private life and to keep the spotlight away from her two sons. Of course, William, who was born in June of 1982, and Harry born in September of 1984, irreverently dubbed an heir and a spare by the papers. Now, eventually, Diana's media stardom, perceived by so many to have been achieved at her husband's expense, opened up fault lines in their picture-perfect marriage. With the media attention came a lot of jealousy, she once confessed, and a great deal of complicated situations arose because of that. On one embarrassingly public occasion, a grimy, sweaty Charles kissed her after a 1986 polo match, and Diana was photographed wiping her lips and the back of her hand. By the end of the decade, it was clear that the prince and princess were not living happily ever after, and although the public's fascination with Diana was still growing, she began the decade as a shy country girl and ended it as an international celebrity. Her fame would soon be tinctured with disfavor. 
All of this followed by her untimely death at the age of 36 after a car crash in a Paris tunnel on August 31st, 1997, which was almost one year to the day after her divorce from Prince Charles. I Want My MTV was the slogan of the world's first rock video TV network and the salvation of the recording industry. By 1979, pop music had fragmented and record sales were plummeting. Programming on radio, the medium that first brought rock to the masses, had splintered into a variety of narrow formats, each tightly bound by its playlists. Musically, MTV started out on August 1st, 1981 in the same mode, with a mainstream format that, among its other effects, virtually excluded black performers. Within two years, however, the 24-hour cable network, by then reaching 17.5 million homes nationwide, had diversified its content. Ironically, considering its virtually white-only beginnings, MTV was boosted immensely by the talent and creativity of an African-American performer. Michael Jackson brilliantly reinvented the music video, until then little more than a promotional tool for selling records, converting it into a dazzling visual performance medium. Others who might have languished in musical niches New wave artists, heavy metal holdovers, country music traditionalists, timeless balladers, and innovative rappers were also able to broaden their appeal after finding a place on MTV or one of the other music video networks it spawned. As Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones put it, rock and roll and TV had gotten married and can't leave each other alone. With music that combined equal parts soul and showbiz glitz, Michael Jackson moonwalked his way to being the biggest and flashiest performer in recorded music. His mega-hit Thriller album, released on November 30th of 1982, won an unprecedented eight Grammy Awards, blending high-tech acoustic effects and Jackson's strong tenor with vocal stunts such as squeals, gasps, and even hiccups. Contributing to the thriller hysteria was Jackson's groundbreaking work on what was to be the entertainment phenomena of the 1980s, the music video. Videos had been made before primarily to help sell records, but Jackson burst onto the scene with a cast of 200, turning the rock dance tune Beat It into a stylized street fight between rival gangs. The video clips of the three number one singles from Thriller, the title track Thriller, Beat It, and Billie Jean were lauded by The Village Voice as the state-of-the-art last word new thing in rock video. Jackson set new standards not only in video choreography, but on the stage as well. Biographer Albert Goldman described the 5-foot, 10-inch mover and shaker as so graceful he can transmute a ghetto hand slap into a gesture of kinetic beauty. So fast, he makes your eyes blur. In November of 1984, Jackson became the sole subject of the first issue of People magazine ever to be devoted entirely to one person. This even though the musical Wonderkin, with his trademark sequined white glove and spindly androgynous beauty, refused to be interviewed. On stage, Jackson once explained, I feel so free, so unlimited. When I'm not on stage, I'm quiet and shy. I'm sort of the person who closes down. In 1987, Jackson released his next album, Bad, which produced five chart-topping singles and sold 20 million copies, numbers that would put into orbit any career except his. Thriller had been so revolutionary and had sold in such historic numbers that any follow-up was doomed to look diminished by comparison. By the decade's end, the performer's 
intersexual looks, peculiar habits, bizarre tastes, and of course rumored interests in young boys began to erode away at his public image. Things would get weirder in the coming years as cosmetic surgery and seclusion suffocated people's admiration for the pop star. On June 25th of 2009, Michael Jackson died from a prescription drug overdose, which had been prescribed and injected by his physician, who would later be charged and convicted of involuntary manslaughter. Thank you for checking out episode four of Dancing With Myself. I'm your host, Heather, and we drop episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So if you love the 80s, make sure you tune in on Friday for a brand new episode.